It truly is a privilege to be with you as we initiate our session, our first session regarding the series, The Amazing Love of God. I believe in my heart that this is going to be one of the most awesome series that you have ever uh, listened to uh, or you're watching by video, watched. It's just going to be amazing. And that's because of the subject material. Amen. Glory to God. We're going to be talking about the most inward essence of God. We're going to be talking about the, the very virtue and glory of God, that which really uh, is the core of God's being, the core of God's being, and it's love. You know, so often we can get too complicated in the sense of we're trying to figure out God. We're trying to do this, do that. And I'm here to tell you this. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says that love never fails. In this series, we're gonna, I'm going to be honest with you, we're going to share some things that I believe you've never heard before. We're going to share some testimonies commensurate with the love of God that Honestly, they're just going to rock your world. Glory to God. I mean, it really is. This is going to change your life. I mean, the Bible says that wisdom is the principal thing. And wisdom is that which causes you to enter in to having the most intimate relationship with Jesus possible. And you see, the Bible says that the love of God is the wisdom of God unto that end. Glory to God. I tell you, I'm just so excited about this series, but most importantly, God's excited about this series. We're going to look in how, uh, in some different sessions, uh, you know, how the enemy tries to negate the love of God, who tries to get us to doubt the love of God, who tries to get us to misperceive the love of God. I'm here to tell you this. The love of God is the key to everything. Glory to Jesus. All right, let's start out. If you'd go with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verse uh, 14, and we're going to read from 14 to 20. I, I've shared this many times, and perhaps you've heard me share this, but one way to grow in your faith, just in an exponential way, is just every day to pray the Ephesians prayer. Uh, prayers of 1, 16 to 23. Again, Ephesians 1, 16 to 23, and Ephesians 3, 14 to 20. They are just revolutionary in their ability to bring you into intimacy with Jesus. And what you, it's all about intimacy. It's all about oneness in, in the sense of just closeness to Jesus. Everything else will take care of itself. Uh, you could sense my excitement, but as I said, I, I sense the excitement of God. God wants his heart revealed. See, Satan is a God of concealment. You know, if you were as ugly as he is, you'd want to be concealed as well. But he is a God of concealment. He, he wants to get you in the dark. He, he, he doesn't want to come out from the dark. He's a God of deception. He, he wants you to, uh, you know, to enter into a place really uh, where you're estranged from the word of God, where you become uh, alone away from the body of Christ and you become a lone ranger. You're going to become a lone stranger. You're meant to enter in, praise God, to intimacy with God through the body of Christ. Well, I, I tell you, let's go to Ephesians 3, 4. And just let's just get to it. Amen. It says uh, in Ephesians 3 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he will grant you, again, whenever you see you, I mean, personalize it, put your name in there. For, for God so loved the world. You say, For God so loved me. You put your name in there. So it says that he will grant you, put your name in there, personalize it, according to the riches of his glory. 
The, the riches of his glory are infinite to be strengthened with might by the spirit in the inner man. Now we've shared uh, uh, different times in, in, in regards to how this correlates to uh, the, the sevenfold spirit that was on Jesus according to Isaiah 11. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts, glory to God by faith, and you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ. Now listen to this. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. It means it is so amazing, your natural mind can't comprehend it. That's why God gave you a mind of your spirit, praise God, through the born-again experience. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. So how are you going to be filled with all the fullness of God? How are you going to enter into the strength of God? How are you going to enter in that which passes knowledge? It's by entering in. To the love of God. The love of God will cause you to go, oh, glory to God, into a place where you will be literally filled with the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Glory to God. See, so often we're after a formula. We're after some trend. We're after this or that to try to get us excited about Jesus. Can I tell you something? That that which gets you excited about Jesus is Jesus. That which causes you to be filled with God is God. That which causes you to enter into a place of victory is Jesus Christ himself. Glory to God. And, and this continues. It says that you might know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God, not unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. The Spirit of God is in you, that you might know, hallelujah, the Bible says, Oh, man, that which has been given to you. And we're, we're talking about 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 2. And, 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 oh, glory to God. It says the Spirit of God has been given unto you that you might know your inheritance, that you might know, glory to God, that which has been given to you. Uh, we're going to hit that verse in, in this initial session. Glory to God. There's so much there. Well, let's go to it right now, praise God. I just want to be led by the Spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, glory to Jesus. It's, there's some exciting verses here. Let, let's start with verse Verse 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Glory to God and look at it with me. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Now, I had a pastor uh, uh, that was just amazing. Uh, and and uh, he would share this verse, but then he would stop. And he said, I can't wait to heaven to find out what's in the heart of God, what the Holy Spirit is going to show us about the heart of God. I just can't wait to heaven to find out. But he needed just to keep reading, praise God. Because it says, but God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. And it goes on to say, now we receive not the Spirit of the world, how do we know that the, the spirit of the world, man, is self-centered? It wants you to think about yourself. It wants you to think about just the strength within yourself. But I'm going to tell you something. Your strength in, 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 in yourself is so limited, so finite. It causes you to be unable. But God wants you not to put your eyes on yourself, but on him, praise God. So the spirit of the world is self-centered. But the spirit... 
spirit of the living God. Hallelujah. He's heart of God-centered, love-centered. It says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. Now listen to this, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Then it goes on to say that these things are, are spiritually discerned. The things that we're going to talk about in this initial session and then in the remaining five sessions are so good, so powerful, so glorious, they surpass knowledge and they're actually so good and so contrary to uh, normal everyday life for people that aren't saved that, that they, 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 we, they look at it us and say, that can't be so. To see, that's because they don't have a spirit to receive from the Spirit of God. I'm going to say that again. The reason that the world has such difficulty in receiving uh, the truth of God's Word and receiving about the amazing love of God is because their spirits are dead. But I'm going to say this as well. There are many Christians, because they don't walk by their spirit, they walk by their soul, their mind, their emotions, their, their personality, their willpower. They have a difficult time really getting... I'm going to be honest with you. The things we're going to share about the love of God, I mean, how He loves you, the degree He loves you, I mean, it's going to cause you just to be amazed. We've called it the amazing love of God because it amazes you. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I felt the Lord speak to me. He said, Michael, He said, most of my children do not walk in awe and amazement of who I really am. And he said, I want you to teach this series that they might be just amazed at who I really am. Amazed at how much I love them. I mean daily to walk in the spirit of glory, the spirit of awe, the spirit of amazement, which translates into joy unspeakable and full of glory. You might be listening to this right now or watching by DVD and saying, you know, I know there's more. I know I love God, but my joy is not full. I mean, there's a heavy yoke. It's just so difficult. And God's saying, you know what? When you enter into the love of God and are amazed by it and able to walk in it and experience it, whoo, man, that's when the heavy yoke falls off, glory to God. That's when bondages fall, glory to God, to the love of God. I, I, you can sense my excitement, but again, it's just the excitement of God. It's the excitement of God who is love, whose love never fails, who's longing for his children, his very children, to, to know of that love, to believe it, receive it, and enter into it experientially. All right. Glory to God. Okay. So let's look at, let's define what love is. Let's look. What is the love of God? That, that's really the, the subtitle in this series that is Right now we're talking about what is the love of God. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 13. And we're going to look at this because this certainly divine, defines the love of God to a definite degree. But, but here's what I want you to see. Glory to God. God's love has to do with his being. Uh, really in, in the context of you know how he expresses love. Uh, what love is. But it also has to do with God's grace. And third with the object of his love. Now, what I mean by that is this. I, oh, man, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm so excited. When we talk about love defined in the context of his being, we're talking about love intrinsic to his character. When we're talking about love being defined in the context of grace, we're talking about him having made a decision 
to express that love in a way that even goes beyond, I mean, what even we can even think about. And in the context of our unworthiness, in the context of the price that he would have to pay, knowing that if he created us in his image and knowing that we would fall, that, that he was ready to send his son to die, to enter in, the, the being scourged, crucified, actually suffering spiritually, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, in he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, and so we could be uh, born again back to the image that we were created in. I, I mean, oh man, we're going to look at that in a real strong way. I mean, grace it truly is unmerited. Favor it is something where we are so undeserving of his love. But glory to God, he made a decision who in his love, I mean in infinite love, uh, that just goes beyond what we can even convey. Glory to God in making a decision to die us intrinsic to his creating us in his image. And lastly, we talk about uh, what is the object of his love. There is, uh, when God's, when, when someone says that God loves angels. Yeah, yeah, God loves angels, but I'm going to tell you something. God loves you and I infinitely more than angels. Glory to God. I, I, you know, this, so we're going to look at this and see. So it, this definition again. It's in the context of God's being, his character, and the context of his grace, and the context of the object of his love. Glory to Jesus. All right. So let's start with uh, the character of God and the context of God's being. And let's utilize 1 Corinthians 13. Glory to God. And it tells us, uh, you know, what love is. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. And and 1 Corinthians uh 13.1, let's start out here. I, I tell you, I'm so excited. I mean, we're going to enter into things that are just, they're amazing. I, I, they're exceedingly amazing when we start seeing what the love of God entails and, and you being the primary object of his love. It, it's just going to be amazing. All right. Scripture says uh, in 1 Corinthians 13.1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and am not love, I am become as a sounding brass or, or, or a banging cymbal. It's not saying you shouldn't enter into the tongues of men and of angels, but it's saying if you just have this and not love, it's not going to profit you. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. It's not saying, again, not to enter into great faith, but faith works by love. And if you enter in the great faith to the exclusion of love, again, it will profit you nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not love, it profits me nothing. Well, my goodness, I mean, it would be something to enter into a place of consecration that, you know, that you're so, that, I mean, your, your body is, you're willing to be martyred. But again, it's not just what you do, it's why you do it. I'm going to say that again. It's just not what you do, but why you do it. I mean, somebody can share the gospel. The cult share the gospel like, uh, you know, Mormons or Jehovah Witness. But it's, see, it's, it's not, it's why are they doing it? You know, the Jehovah Witness are doing it so they don't enter into hell. I mean, you can look good in church. You can feed the poor. You, you can do this and that. But are you doing it to minister to the heart of God? Are you doing it to minister to the heart of God? Glory to God. All right. So let's start out now in verse 4, and let's enter in 
praise God, to, to really see what love involves. It says love is patient. Some translations uh, say it suffers long. So God, he's patient with you. God has made a decision not to condemn you, but to love you. He, he's not a God of condemnation. A lot of times we, we quote John 3.16, and rightly so, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever should believe on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we stop there. But it goes on to say in the next verse that God did not come to condemn the world. He came to save it. God loves you. He's not. He could condemn you. But he's made a decision in his, the character and the love intrinsic to his character not to condemn you, not to condemn me. He's so patient with us. Even when we hurt him, he's, he's merciful and he's long-suffering. You know, when you suffer, I mean, you're hurt. See, God has the ability to be hurt by you. See, that's part of love. Vulnerability is part of love. Where there's no vulnerability, there's not love. You know, some people say that, you know, God is a, a God of predestination. And, you know, in the sense that, I mean, he predestined all of us. He's given us a destiny. Uh, don't get caught up on that word predestined. It just means God's given you a destiny to be conformed to his image. That's for everyone. But there's people even say that God hates people. And he chooses who to be saved and who not to be saved and who to be healed and who not to be healed and who to be blessed and who to be cursed. That, that's absurdity when you enter into understanding the love of God. You see, the love of God causes him to be no respecter of persons. Causing him, as the scripture declares emphatically, that he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants us to enter into a place, glory to God, that, that we enter into to, to his love. And intrinsic to his love is vulnerability. Intrinsic to his love is you having to make a decision for him. God doesn't make anybody love him. See, because that's not love. Love involves a desire for relationship. And we're going we're gonna to emphasize that more. So, man, this is first characteristic of love. Love suffers long. Again, when you love somebody, you're vulnerable to them. Because you need them to succeed. You need them to be blessed. You need them to have relationship with you. And it hurts when they're struggling. It hurts when they're making wrong choices. It hurts when they choose estrangement from you rather than relationship with you. The first attribute of love is that it suffers. And it suffers long. Mm. Jesus suffered on the cross because he loved you. He suffered on the cross because love suffers when it needs to suffer. It suffers in the context of being vulnerable to harm by somebody that they need relationship with. Wow. You say God needs relationship with me? Again, we're going to emphasize that in a few minutes, but absolutely. His heart needs it. And he's so desirous of it. All right, it says love is kind. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not somebody that's hurtful. Many people, really, they associate God with harm. I mean, even in uh, your insurance policy. I mean, uh, they call uh, 
earthquakes and hurricanes, you know, acts of God. That's not an act of God at all. God's kind. That's an act of the enemy, of Satan who's come to kill, rob, and destroy. So love suffers, is patient, it suffers long. It's kind. It goes on to say, love envies not. Glory to God. God, oh, hallelujah. Love is not prideful, not puffed up. You know, one of the most amazing verses to me regarding Jesus is in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Jesus says, I am lowly of heart. Let's just go there, praise God. I mean, it's just an amazing verse. See, the more you read the Bible, the more you get cleansed from religious thinking and enter into the heart of God. Matthew 11, mm, it's just so good. Uh, Jesus says this, come, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And that's what we're doing now in this series. For I am meek, I am lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wow. It says that in Amplified, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm gentle, meek, and humble, lowly in heart. It's amazing. God Almighty, the I am, creator of heaven and earth, and he's so meek. Lowly in the sense that he's so humble. Can I ask you something? If you were God, would you be humble? My gosh, if you were God, I mean, you'd be, I mean, if someone you didn't like, you'd be just destroying them and doing this and doing that. God is, is lowly of heart. It's amazing to me. The Bible teaches us that when at the marriage supper of the Lamb, that, that's shared in the book of Revelation, also in the Gospels, you're going to be seated at the table. And you're just going to be wanting to worship Jesus. You're going to be wanting to, to cry in the sense of, I mean, you're, you're saved. It's going to be amazing. You're at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the Bible says that Jesus is going to come. And he's going to serve you. And you're going to be like Peter of old saying, Lord, don't wash my feet. And you're going to say, God, what are you doing? You're my Savior. You're my God. He's going to say, let me serve you. See, because he's lowly of heart, I just want to show my appreciation for who you are to me. You're saying, you got to be kidding me. This is not the gods that are worshipped by, 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 by those who aren't Christians. I don't come against, you know, anybody in the sense of, I mean, there are people, they just haven't been taught. I don't care who they are. Maybe they're Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. They probably haven't been taught about the love of God. I mean, but you think of Allah. You know, Allah is not going to come and, and serve you dinner at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Allah is someone that is very, very different. Very, very different in the context of the one true God, Jesus Christ. People are looking for love. People are looking for a God that loves them because, you see, God Almighty created you with the void that only He can fill. It's amazing to me that, uh, oh my gosh, people are seeking love. Glory to God. Uh, oh, Jesus. I mean, there's a song that at the time of this recording uh, is called Reckless Love. And uh, 
It's just about the heart of God pursuing man. And uh, I, I think it's had 18 million hits. Because people are saying, I, I, I want a God that pursues me. I want a God that's passionate about me. I, I want to know this God. Wow. It says that love does not behave itself unseemly, seek its own. Jesus is the most unselfish person that has ever existed, that ever will exist. It's amazing. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, makes it about you in the sense that he came to die for you. He came to uplift you through his spirit. He wants you to be conformed to his image. Obviously, it's about him and being God and needing to be worshipped and obeyed, but it's amazing. His unselfishness is amazing. It goes on to say he rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in, in the truth. Love is all by truth. See, love isn't about what is the majority opinion says is true. Because when you love somebody, you don't give them that which is palatable in the context of majority opinion. What you do, blessed be God, is you give them truth. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is truth. Love is truth. Jesus doesn't rejoice in the majority opinion when it's evil, when it's degrading, when it's harmful, when it's contrary to his personage because he alone is righteous. What makes something right or wrong? Whether it is in accordance to Jesus or it's not. Jesus is righteous. That which is contrary to Jesus is unrighteousness. Glory to God. Jesus did not come. So you could take this word and make it line up to who you are. He came to give you this word so you would line up to him. Love is truth. You cannot separate love and truth. Because if you love somebody, you will have to have them have truth. Glory to God. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In verse 7, the Bible says, love bears all things. Jesus bore our sins. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Can I tell you something? When you spit in his face, when you cursed his name, he loved you. Man, when you entered into the deepest sin, I, I, whether it's sexual sin, whether I, I don't care what type of sin, he loved you. He believed in you. And he believes in you now. You might say, man, you, you don't understand what I did. You don't understand where I'm at right now. God believes in you. You say, how can believe, he believe in me when there's nothing to believe in? See, you don't understand love. Because love believes all things. Man, Jesus saw Gideon cowardly, you know, beating, uh, uh, you know, uh, wine and, uh, you know, being according to wine press, cowardly hiding from battle. And he said, man, I believe in you. I don't see you as a coward. I see you as a mighty warrior. You say, man, how can God believe in me when I don't even believe in myself? Well, see, the love of God will cause you to love yourself. Jesus believes in you. I don't care where you're at, what you're doing. Jesus believes in you. Here's what's amazing. 
I don't care if you take the vilest sinner. Uh, some, you know, I, I tell you, religious people, I'll be honest with you, they're in the greatest sin because they're trying to dissuade God himself from truth, saying that they're righteous by their works when God says they're like filthy rags. But if you take the religious men, the prostitute, and God puts them in the same category, a religious person who has an outward form of godliness but has never been born again. Can I tell you something? God loves the prostitute. God loves the drug dealer. God, God loves them. He will never love them more than he does right now. You say, what are you talking about? You mean God's not going to love the prostitute more when she accepts Christ? No. He loves her now. To such an extent, it, his love will never grow for her because it can't grow because he loves her infinitely now. Now, here's the deal. He can't have fellowship with her now. She's not going to go to heaven in that state until she accepts Christ and gets born again. But you see, his love. And you might be listening to this and saying, man, I am a prostitute. I'm a religious person on the outside, but man, you know, I'm, I, I, man, I, I'm evil. God loves you now in a profound fashion. He believes in you. He be, he's believing you're going to change. Man, right now, just come to him and say, Jesus, because of your love, I ask you to forgive me. Because of your love, I want relationship with you. Just say it now. Don't wait to the sixth CD, the sixth video. Just say, Lord, I, I want you. I want love. Come into my life in Jesus' name. If you said that right now, right this second, you're now a child of God. See, because you entered in to love and God is love through the blood that he shed for you in Jesus' name. Wow. I, I just sense God so strongly. I got so much to get through. I was, on, I was planning on spending about five minutes on 1 Corinthians 13, but the Spirit of God, I think, had other ideas. Lastly, it says love never fails. People will fail you. You will fail yourself. You will fail others. But Jesus will never fail you because love never fails and he's love. All right. Let's start entering in. Amen. To, uh, oh, Jesus. Let me share one other thing. Uh, we said you can't separate love from truth. You can't separate love from goodness. Well, Moses said, show me your glory which is in essence saying, show me your love. Show me who you are. God says, I, I will make all my goodness mm, pass over you. I, I'm going to proclaim my name. I'm going to proclaim my goodness. Mm. The goodness of God is infinitely awesome. You can't separate the goodness of God from the love of God because the love of God is goodness. Amen. And we're going to share on that to really increase your faith in this area. God's just not good. He's infinitely good. He's infinitely, amazingly good. Glory to God. All right. Now, let, let's enter in, all right, now to the second variable uh, in, in the context of definition of love. It's grace. Jesus Christ is love. But even though Jesus Christ is loving, he did not have to die for you. That was a decision that goes beyond what even can be imagined. See, when God created man, he knew man would sin. So intrinsic to his decision to create man was his 
making a decision to die for man, to become man and die for him. That's why the psalmist says that when uh, Jesus rose up and said, I will come, I will be the redeemer. Even though there's a price to be paid that's infinite, I will come. You see, grace, I mean, it, it's love exponential. It is amazing. Jesus had no reason to come when we rejected him, when we chose another God. That God is called self. Man, Adam represented you and I. Someone said, I just got a bad rap from Adam. That's a false teaching. You just didn't get a bad rap from Adam. Intrinsic to Adam was mankind. There's no one, according to Romans 3, that would have done anything different than Adam. It's foolishness to think so biblically. Jesus did not have a reason to come outside of his unmerited favor, his grace. You didn't deserve him to come. I didn't deserve him to come. But you see, he made a decision to come. Intrinsic to his creating you in his image was a decision to die for you, knowing that you would exchange the very glory of God Almighty for selfishness, for self-life, soul life. You see, Jesus said himself, it's foolishness to make a decision without first counting the cost. The cost was infinite beyond whatever we can even imagine. But knowing the cost, by grace you were created. By grace he came. By grace he calls you now. By grace he's with you now. By grace you're saved. All right, let's now look into the third variable of definition of love. I said that the, the, the three variables involving definition are, are in the context of character, in the context of God's grace, and the object of his love. You see, many, so many Christians, I, I have a hard time believing, but even think that angels are higher than them. Angels are your servants. They're ministering spirits to you. There's no angel that cries Abba. In Hebrews chapter, if you take the book of Hebrews, it's so important to know the context of the books. A lot of people don't understand 1 Corinthians because the, so much of 1 Corinthians is God answering questions that were uh, you know, posed to him in the context of he's writing through Paul. It's God speaking and they don't understand the questions that were being asked so they don't know the context of the answer. And the book of Hebrews, I mean, there was the church was falling away. There was profound persecution and people were denying Jesus left and right. And that's why Hebrews 10, 25 said, do not forsake the gathering yourselves together because so many people were because when they gathered together, they were being killed. Hebrews chapter one, there was a, a doctrine being ad addressed uh, by the writer of Hebrews. I believe it was Apostle Paul. Some people say otherwise, but it was God. So it doesn't matter who wrote it. It was God. And I, uh, Hebrews 1 addresses the, the heresy that angels were above Jesus. That's all Hebrews 1 is about. That, you know, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ made angels. Amen. On and on and on. That's, that's the whole context of Hebrews 1. But Hebrews 2 is about the heresy that angels were above men. And the whole 
chapter of Hebrews 2 is about angels being infinitely lower than men and then being our servants. And that's what it talks about in verse 4 that God uses men filled with the Holy Ghost and the signs and wonders and amazing miracles. Glory to God. Giving witness to the resurrection, not angels. Then it goes on to say, let's just read for time's sake. Oh, Jesus. From verse 11. It says, for both he that sanctifies, that's Jesus, and they that are sanctified, that's you, are all from one Father. Glory to God. There's no angel that can say that God is their father, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them his brothers, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I put my trust in thee. Behold, I and the children which you have given me, my brothers. Now listen to this. For as much then the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that's the devil, and deliver them who through the fear of death were in bondage for a lifetime. Now listen to this verse. Verse 16, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on himself the seed of Abraham. He would not die for angels because he did not have a covenant for angels, but he died for the children of the Most High God that he made covenant with. Now that's pretty clear, isn't it? God's saying when angels fell, there's no way I'm sending my son because I'm not in a relationship with them. The, the, the love within my heart is not towards angels. Although, sure, does, does God have an affinity towards angels? Yes. But he would never send his son to die for them because he did not make them in his image. He does not have the love towards them that he has for you, which is infinite. So this, this shows us the object of his love being, being uh, significant, profoundly significant in the context of definition. In Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image. Woo! Genesis 2.7, the Bible says that he made our bodies from the dust of the earth. Then he breathed in, glory to God, to Adam, hallelujah, uh, the breath of life, and then Eve, the breath of life. Can I tell you something? Listen to me. You are not just a being of creation. God created everything you see. I mean, the, the Noah, the galaxies, the oceans, the animals. But he did not speak man into existence. Man is a being of impartation more than he is a being of creation. God literally breathed mm, a part of his own glorious being into man, causing man to be a spirit, locking unto him. Glory to God. And this is why in John 20, 22, after Jesus shed his blood and rose, listen to me. The greatest miracle in the Bible is not Jesus just, you know, multiplying loaves or even raising Lazarus. It's creating man in his own image. The second greatest miracle is him entering into infinite suffering and, and dying on the cross, becoming sin. The third greatest miracle. I believe, glory to God, again, and, and intrinsic to his becoming sin is his rising. The third greatest miracle is when he breathed into the apostle, just like he did in Genesis 2-7. And man now, whoo, was now in his image once again. Glory to God. There's so much here. 
How much does God, what's love? Love is when there's a oneness between two people that transcends anything. It's a relationship of such extreme intimacy that it transcends anything. It's incomparable. Anything other than the relationship cannot be compared to the glory of the relationship. Jesus talks about oneness. Oneness can mean three things. Biblically, John 10, 30, it can mean deity. That obviously has nothing to do with us. And Ephesians 4 can mean unity. And John 17, 11, 21, 22, 23, and 26, it means intimacy. And Jesus said this in John 17, 23. Now listen to me. The Father loves you as much as he loves him. We're, we're going to expound on that. But, let's, but see, love entails oneness. In Deuteronomy 32.10, Jesus said, you're the apple of his eye. The apple in Hebrew is from the Hebrew word ishon, I-S-H-O-N. It, it, it's literally, it's your retina. Why did God say you're the retina of his eye? Because the retina of, his, of someone's eye is that which could cause the most pain. I mean, a, a, a scratched retina, a detached retina. It's the most securely guarded part of the eye. You're so close to him. I, I, you, just, you need to know. I need to know. God Almighty. Has a need for you. He has a love for you. He he esteems you. He honors you. You're in his image. It is there's nothing on the face of the earth that can compare to his love for you. In Luke 11, Jesus tries to convey his love because he knows that so many people, instead of running to him, run from him because of the lies of the devil. And he's saying, when you need, need something from me, I'm going to give it to you. Then he gives a natural analogy of a parent. He says, you know, you being fathers and mothers, you're, there's, you're not perfect like me. You don't love like me, but you do anything for your kids. I've shared this testimony I'm going to share now in so many settings. I, I'm, I live in the Pittsburgh area, a man from Erie, a little over an hour from me, where Lake Erie is. I, he was, I'm, I'm 380 pounds. He, his daughter needed a kidney. It was a perfect match, but he had to lose, I believe, 180 pounds in, in, a, in about 60 days. And he did it. I, I believe it was two and a half months, 75 days. And, and reporters came up and said, uh, was it difficult? He said, it's the easiest thing I ever did. And, and he never said if he was a Christian or not. But then he said this, I never forgot. He said, if I had to give my daughter both my kidneys, it would be the easiest decision I've ever made. See, that's someone that God put that in their consciousness. And glory to God. God is infinitely better than that man. You see, that man said that because of the oneness he had with his daughter. I want to tell you something. The, the intimacy, the need of God to have a relationship with you, the need for your wholeness, it's infinitely greater than the analogy I just shared. And that analogy is very powerful, isn't it? 
Jesus. See, it's spiritually discerned like we read in 1 Corinthians 2. Go with me to Psalm 8. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. In Psalm 8, I, I believe it's, the, it's, the, it's really the, the jewel of the Psalms. I, I know different people might have different opinions. I, I love Psalm 91. I love it all. Glory to God. But in Psalm 8, David looks up into the heavens and says, Man, who am I? What am I that God would even consider me when I look at the, just the work of his hands? He says, What is man, that, Lord, that you're even mindful of him? And the son of man that you wouldn't even think about visiting him. And here's what God says. Yet, mm, I have made you. God's saying, I understand what you just said. Some translations say, but. He's, he's negating what David's thinking. He said, David, I've made you a little lower than Elohim, myself. Some translations say angels. But I tell you, in the Hebrew, it's Elohim. And this is reiterated in Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. He's speaking to David, but he's speaking to you. He said, I've made you a little lower than myself. We're talking relationally. We're not talking about being some little God, omnipresent, uh, you know, omniscient, uh, you know, omnipotent. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking relationally. I've made you a little lower than myself. I've created you in my very image. Genesis 1, 26, 2, 7, 5, 3. I, I, I love it. Genesis 5, 2, and 3. The Bible says that even as Seth was created in Adam, Adam's created in the image of God. When you think of Seth, you think of Adam. When you think of Adam, you think of the image of God. And he says, I've crowned you with glory, honor, and dominion. Let's look at that word honor. It means to esteem someone. It means to think highly of them. In Psalm 91, Jesus said, I will show you my salvation and honor you, Psalm 91, 14. You say, what are you talking about? I know I'm not honoring God. No, we're not talking about honor in the context of worship. We're talking about honor in the sense that, can I tell you something? You lock God up. There's something, in, God's created you in a way that there's something inside you. There's something about you that amazes God, that causes God to run to you, that causes God to, to be satisfied with you alone. See, love, the key to love is esteem. God esteems you. You say, how can he esteem? My, I'm, I'm sinfulness. No, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're not some worm. God didn't write to the worms at Ephesus. He wrote to the saints. Those pure, sanctified by the blood. And he says, I've crowned you with glory. What's glory? It's love. It's the inward essence of his being. I, I was praying for somebody recently. And they, uh, they had cancer. And God just began to say, I love you. I love you. I love you. You know, when Lazarus was so sick and eventually died, you know, Mary and Martha came to him. They didn't say, Lord, he who's the, uh, who gives the most money to the church. Uh, he who is just a, uh, he, he walks better than anybody else. He who does this. Or, they said, Lord, he whom you love is sick. 
Jesus, two verses later, after hearing of his condition, said, I love you. I love you. See, we think the miracle was Lazarus being raised. The miracle wasn't Lazarus being raised. The miracle was the love that Jesus had in him that caused him to raise Lazarus. The miracle isn't you getting born again as much as it is the love that caused him to send his son so you could be born again. The miracle isn't you being able to worship him. The miracle is him wanting your worship and needing it. Jesus, I crown you with glory, honor, and dominion. Crown us with dominion so because he can't stand to see his heart. That's Psalm 91. Listen to me. Jesus has a need to be with you. Billy Graham, the late Billy Graham, he, his last book, he said, just, just to be with him. God says in John 14, I, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to pay a price that, that's beyond your comprehension. Just because I need you to be with me. I need you to be where I am. That's love. Oh, God. God has a need for you to want him. When you have a real love relationship, you have a need for the other person to want you. That's why this doctrine of sovereignty is so absurd. Because it negates the very fabric of love. Jesus in Exodus 34, 14, one of his primary names, glory to God, is I am the Lord who's jealous over you. Exodus 34, 14. Jesus. See, that's what people don't understand the Bible. To understand the Bible, you have to understand everything that God does is relational. When he says in Revelations 3, 15 and 16, you're neither hot nor cold. And because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. People see that as legalism. That They see it as harsh. No. God's saying, I need you to want me fully. How many of you, if you were engaged to somebody and the person you were engaged with, they were messing around with somebody else, having sex with somebody else, eyes on somebody else, would you enter into marriage with them? You say no. It's illogical because, you see, it is that which is simply crazy. But see, because we don't see God as he really is, and the totality of the glory of the relationship we've been called to, it's different with God. I can sin, it doesn't matter that much. I can be, I can mess around on the side, it doesn't matter that much. I'm here to tell you something, it matters more than anything. God's saying, I can't take it when you have other lovers, because I love you so much, I need you to be so consecrated. I need to know that just like you're everything to me, I need you to be everything to me. We'll, we'll look at the prophets. And look at, we're going to look at some things that are going to blow your mind. You say, you're intense. No, God's intense. He can't take it. When you say, Lord, I love you, but. I, I love you, but you know what? I'm still going to be in sexual sin. I, I love you, but I'm choosing this over you. I, I love you, but you know what? 
I don't really need to be with you a lot. I go to church on Sunday. And God weeps. You say God weeps, you better believe he weeps. You read John chapter 11. You, you read Jeremiah 3, 1. You read the book of Hosea. You read Isaiah 1. You read the Gospels. You read Ephesians 4.30. He weeps in a way that, that's, that's hard to comprehend. Jesus, when you love somebody, you need them to be whole. When you love someone, oh, Jesus, you need your image to be in them. That's why Jesus died. Not just so you could go to heaven, he died so his image would be in you. Romans 8, 29. He whom he knew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. Glory to Jesus. All right. Let's look at some things now. My, my time's limited in this initial session. Go with me if you would. The Luke chapter 15, verse 11. We're going to see some things in... Uh, the context of the parable of, of the prodigal son. And, and a lot of you know this. If you were raised in church, you probably heard it a hundred times. But I want you to hear it in a way intrinsic to that which we have just shared. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Well, well, let's start. I'm sorry. Let's start with verse 11. And Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And not many days after... Uh, the younger son, uh, uh, well, here's what's amazing. You got a young kid, maybe he's 18 years old, let's pretend. And he goes into his dad who's, who's wealthy. And he says, I want my inheritance now. And the father knows what he's going to do with it. And he gives it to them. I'm going to tell you something. One of my children came to me and said, Dad, and if I had a big inheritance, I want it now. And I knew they were just going to go and do things bad with it? I say, really? Really? God knows. He gives us. He blesses us. He loves us. And yet he gives us his blessings, his mercy, his goodness, knowing that we're going to trash it. And he still blesses us. Because he's trying to get us to see that it's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. But as he has to, who let us hit rock bottom. He knew that this son that entered into relationship with him in a real way had to hit rock bottom and he was willing to do anything and everything he, he, he could unto that end, even to the giving of everything he had. And he goes out and squanders it with whores, riotous living. And, and then he finds himself in a, as a, a pig pen. And he says at first that I'm no wor more worthy to be called a, a, a son of my father. But if I can do just accept me and, as one of his hired servants, I mean, it's a thousand percent better than being in this pig pen. You see, all your friends are going to leave when you don't do what they want you to do. Your money is going to run out. I, I, I honestly, it'll run out in this life many times. But, and I tell you, it'll run out before eternity. I tell you what, I never saw a hearse pulling a U-Haul. It's not a game. But here's what's amazing. Here's what's amazing. In verse 20, the Bible says, he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great far off, the father saw him and had compassion on him, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. 
The son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I'm no more worthy to be called thy sons. And the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand. It was a signet ring, really giving him access again to his finances. For this son was dead and is alive again. He's lost and found, and now he's found. And there was a great celebration. Now here's what's amazing. Here's what's amazing. The father was constantly looking for him. He wasn't mad at him. He was in need of him. He was constantly looking for him. Every day, every night, he was looking for the son to come back. They treated him wrongly. They cursed him. They took what he had. That he might embrace him. Because you see, he didn't have any less of a need to love him when he was in riotous living with whores than he did when he was living right. He had a greater need when he was estranged. He had a need for him to make a decision. If you come back to Jesus and you're backslidden, he's not there to make you pay for what you've done. He's here to tell you that he paid for what you should have to pay for. He's there to receive you. See, that's the love of God. Now, here's what's amazing to me. There was a second son who I think was worse than the first son. He hears a man, a celebration. Ma'am, and he gets so angry. And he says, man, he says to his father, I listen to this. Lo, these many years I've served you, neither transgressed I at any time that commandment. And yet you never gave me anything. You gave me nothing. But now this son who's come back and devoured the inheritance with whores. You've killed the fatted. Listen to what he says. He said unto him, son, thou art ever with me in all that I have. This whole time you thought I gave you nothing. Everything I had was yours. This is a picture of the church. We're disillusioned. We're even angry at God because we don't really know the heart of God. This son did what was commanded. His son lived with the father. He was a true son, but he never knew the love of his father. So he did what was right outwardly, but was never convinced that what the father had was his. Jesus Christ, God Almighty loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son. He gave me his only begotten son that we might have eternal life. But see, eternal life is just not the longevity of days. God sent his son to die so that his life might be yours. You say, what do you mean by that? It means that his character might become your character. His blessings might become your blessings. Jesus said in 3 John 2, I desire you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. The greatest blessing is to be able to have intimacy with him. When Moses was giving out blessings to the 12 tribes of Israel, he comes to Benjamin. He said, here's your blessing that you might be covered by God in safety. 
that you may dwell in safety all day long for the rest of your life, every day, be covered by his love. But listen to this. And that you might dwell, that you might abide, dwell. God's not looking for visitation. He's looking for habitation. That you might dwell between the shoulder blades of God. I hear a lot of Christians say, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. You know what I want? Do you know what Jesus wants you to want? More than anything else is to dwell between the shoulder blades of your father. Put your head on his bosom. Hear his heart tick. And to know that even as you're dwelling, abiding between the shoulder blades of God, that this is eternal life. And there's no way that you're going to run from that because there's nothing greater. The kingdom of God is not outward. It's righteousness. You being made the righteousness of God in Christ. It's peace, nothing missing, nothing broken. Not fearing when you're in a storm, thinking you're going to be harmed. It's joy. All in the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 14, 17. There are so many things. All right. Oh, man, I, I, I wanna, I'm just going to refer you to Numbers 14 because I want to hit something else and we only have a few minutes. In Numbers 14, there were 12 spies, 10 of them, because they didn't know the heart of God. You see, they saw what God did, but never entered into understanding why I did it. It said that they knew the acts of God, but Moses knew the heart of God, the ways of God. So 10 of these guys say, God, He's called us out here to hurt us, to have our children be raped. Can you imagine that? And it broke the heart of God. But Joshua and Caleb said, you have no idea what you're saying. Our God who brought us out of Egypt, who caused us to walk through the Red Sea on dry land. They said four things. If our God delights in us, and that was first and foremost, then these jazz will be bred for us. Their defenses have departed. God will surely never let us get hurt because he delights in us. The degree that you have a revelation of the delight of God in you, which is commensurate with the love of God, is the degree that you will destroy giants for his name's sake or be in fear of them and turn back to Egypt. God's calling us to really to make the majors the majors. I mean, wisdom is, is making the main thing the main thing. The main thing is the love of God. In that context, turn with me to John 17. 1. John 17, 1, we'll just see how far we get. So much in the heart. I, I, I tell you, there's so much in the heart of God. It, it really is all about relationship. John 17, verse 1. John 17, 1 to 26 is part of the discourse. John 14 to 17. John 17 is the last prayer that Jesus ever prayed for the body of Christ. It's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Uh, in Matthew 6, we, you know, we, we spend a lot of time on what's commonly referred to the Our Father. That's great. But this is a prayer that is beyond. It's just infinitely amazing. John 17, 1, when Jesus was praying for himself, he said, Father, I need to experience your love in a way 
that's going to cause me to be able to endure the hellishness of the pain of redemption. He said in John 17, 6, O Father, glorify thou me with thy own self. I see, glorification means when God takes the glory of his own being and it puts it in you. Obviously, you know, it means worship. That has nothing to do with us. But you see, God was going to minister the love to Jesus in a way that it would be so strong that just when that angel made a cake that Elijah made when he was running from Jezebel and he went on the strength of it for 40 days, just like when Moses was in the presence of God twice for 40 days without food and waters, that the face of God himself gave him sustenance. And then that, that cake made by the angel gave Elijah sustenance. God's like, I need you to be my sustenance. Not some formula. I need you. The glory within you that be infused into me. Glory to God. That's my sustenance. Because I know you love me. And because you love me, what did the Bible say? I know that you'll crown me with glory. And in John 17, 11, 21, 22, and 23, Jesus is praying and he says, Father, I desire them to enter into the relationship that I have with you. I desire them to know that as one, as I am one with you, as I am intimate with you, that they are called to be intimate with us, even as I am intimate with you, you with me, the Spirit of God with you and me, I've called them to enter into this intimacy. You say that, that, that is unfathomable. That's hard to believe. Yes, it is, but it's true because Jesus prayed it and because Jesus prayed it, it's been answered. And right now I'm speaking to you by the, by the grace of God and any other man of God is going to be speaking the heart of God that tells you how to enter into this reality. Jesus said in John 17, 22, the glory you've given me, I've given them that they might enter into this oneness. This oneness that causes them to know that Father, you love them as much as you love me and they might know that I love them as much as I love you and they might enter into this glory you see love love has to have the person that they love be as close as to them as possible <sighs> let's close with verse 26 John 17 26 these are the last words recorded in the Bible that Jesus Christ prayed for those who would become believers. He says this, and I have declared and manifested unto these men, talking about his disciples, not named. Now listen to this. And I will declare it. He's talking about to those who would believe. To you. You put your name in here. I will declare and manifest my name. What's his name? It's who he is. It's redeemer. It's safety. It is protect, safety and protection. It's healing. It's wholeness. It's literally everything he is. It's his goodness. He said, I'm going to manifest my goodness. But listen to why. It's amazing that he wants to manifest his goodness to us. Just like the father manifested his goodness to him. But here's what's greatest. It's why. He says, I'm going to manifest, I've declared unto them thy name and will declare it, that the love, just say that with me, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, in I in them. 
How much did the father love the son? How much did his presence come to the son? How much did his voice come to the son? How much did his safety come to the son? How much did intimacy come to the son by the father? Jesus said this, not me. I, I, this is so infinite beyond my, I, it's so amazing I mean I don't even think anybody could even consider writing it but Jesus prayed it because this is the gospel he died he said I'm going to die so I can love them in an amazing way I'm going to die father I'm going to rise so you can love them just like you loved me that your love and my love might be in them, in I in them. See, if the love of God isn't in you, he's not going to be able to be who he really is to you. I, I've come so close to breaking down and just weeping. And maybe I should. I just want to close with this. The love of God is unlike anything on the face of the earth. It's incomparable, irrefutable. It's everything. And God sent his son to die. Not only that a degree of his love might be experienced by you, but the same way that the father interacts with the son might be experienced by you. And we're going to look into the depths of what this entails. But if you've never come to Jesus, you've, or you're far from Jesus, just say, Jesus, I need this love back. I come to you. Forgive me. I give myself to you because you gave yourself to me. And I'll say this to every listener, every person listening or watching. Jesus ever lives to have the love within him be in you, even as he prayed in John 17, 26.